Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? I got $5. This is a run to the left. You're saying that humans need fantasy to make life bearable. Humans need fantasy to be human. My goodness, that was good. You guys are pros. The bats, relentless, refusing to give up. All right, hit that horn, babe. Let's dance. Let's jump to the uh, NFC. And we'll start with Dallas, CeeDee Lamb or Amari for you. This is so tough because, I mean, I don't want to get off the CD train. Um, it's been fun. I, I drafted a shit ton of him when he was wide receiver 17. But now that he's wide receiver 12 and Amari Cooper is like wide receiver 15, I would prefer Amari um, because it does look like Amari's healthy. But, oh, you know, Lamb's going to have such a big year that uh, you can't go wrong with either. Again, this is one of those things where we're nitpicking. Michael Gallup at wide receiver 46 is probably the best value out of all of them. So that's why I've, I've typically gotten him in most of my drafts. Whereas these guys, it depends where your draft slot is, depends who you get in round one or two. Um, but, you know, I'm okay having either one of these guys on my team. Yeah, actually, funny because I actually have Gallup ranked exactly at wide receiver 46. But uh, I, I do agree that he is... He's a value given that Dak should be back and uh, this yeah. offense should be able to support the, you know, three wide receivers. So, um, but yeah, for, for, for Lamb versus Cooper, I have Lamb one spot ahead, but yeah, they're, they're essentially tied, but I think they're both top 12 receivers. So don't yeah. think you can go wrong with either one of those guys. Let's go to the Washington football team. Where are you on Curtis Samuel? Cause I think, you know, Gibson's a known quantity, uh, Logan Thomas is a known quantity, or at least he's kind of locked in that tight end seven spot. Um, but I think Samuel is a little bit more of a wild card, just given that he's, you know, coming over from the Panthers. Yeah. And, you know, I have him ranked wide receiver 47 right now. Uh, ADP is wide receiver 52. I think the market may be underestimating his one to two carries per game um, <laughs> that I sneak into my projections. But, you know, he's not a guy I'm targeting. This is the range. We're, we're shooting for the moon. And he's more of a high four guy. But even in this offense, I don't know if we could say that. Like you said, they have Logan Thomas. They have Terry McLaurin. Um, you know, I don't know how they're going to use Curtis Samuel in the backfield. They already have Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick. So it's, you know, his role may be limited. And he's the kind of guy that sort of needs volume to hit in fantasy. So I, I just don't know if we're going to get that week to week. So I, I'm off on him, even though I'm a little bit ahead of ADP. Uh, where, where are you on him, though? Yeah, I have him at wide receiver 51, so I'm pretty much in line with consensus. Uh, yeah, he's it's you know he's there for the taking, but I don't see him being a big air yards guy. That's not the best way to use him. So he's going to have to be a, a big PPR guy, but he's still behind you know McLaurin, Thomas, and probably McKissick even for targets. So. Yeah. And he, he missed he missed like most of camp, right? Yeah. And preseason. So that's not good when you have a you're in a new, maybe not a new system for him, but a new team with a new quarterback. Like that's not good. Yeah, and he has struggled with injuries at, at times in his career. So yeah, just not a guy that I think is gonna be a league winner. So not getting too much of him. Uh Patterson is really the, the deep sleeper that I like on this team because I have him, you know, right as borderline, you know, top 60 running back. So I think he deserves to be picked just for just for his upside. And the yeah. fact that he showcased so time. Remember, this is the same organization that found, you know, Antonio Gibson, a legit, you know, workhorse back in you know, the middle rounds of the draft. So they, and they and they kind of you turn McKissick, you know, who nobody wanted into a, a viable threat. So this is a this is a good organization uh, with Ron Rivera at the helm for unearthing these these backs. And he also took Christian McCaffrey. So, yeah, yeah this is a pretty good track record here. So. Don't mind a dart throw on Patterson uh, if you're in a deep league, a best ball, going like extreme zero running back and want to 
benefit yeah. from some some variants or whatever not. So uh, that's what I'm doing with with the football team. The Eagles. It's interesting because they have these guys going in the middle rounds that I don't know. It's just tough to go either to feel like amazing about them or feel like too, too down on them. But I don't know. Miles Sanders, Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard. Who's the best value for you of those three guys? I know they're different positions, but that's kind of the point. Like if you're investing in this offense, who's the best value uh, for you? Uh, I don't love any of them, uh, mainly because Jalen Hurts, you know, he robs them um, of their value because of his rushing ability, uh, his inaccuracy as a passer. So I think Miles Sanders, I'm in line with ADP at least. He's a guy that I don't go into drafts wanting to draft him. But if he were to fall to me at the end of the RB2 tier and, you know, I was busy taking wide receivers and tight ends in the first few rounds, he's a guy that that could be part of my draft plan. Uh, Devonte Smith, uh, I think, is being drafted a bit too high, and then Dallas Goddard. I mean, we feel I feel like we talk about every pod, but uh, he's a bit risky where he's going. Um, but his ADP has dipped enough to where I think at you know tight end twelve, I would consider him. I think he is talented enough, um, even with Zach Ertz still there to produce value there, it's especially considering I keep mentioning this tight end two tier is collapsing beneath him, <laughs> so that's kind of raising his value a little bit, but. Um, you know, all these guys, I'm uninterested in this. This is an offense where, you know, Jalen Hurts is going to be the, the fancy asset from this team. Yeah, I agree. I Hurts is really the guy I target. Um, out of those three guys, it's Smith for me just because you have like some of that unknown giving you that upside. Now, I, I do agree. I think he's being drafted a little too high, but uh, there's a chance for, you know, the air yard hogging, the target hogging there. Um, and, and some of the off script plays and, you know, he's kind of competing at, you know, at wide receiver, he's competing with Jalen Rager and Quez Watkins. So he's going to be open. And then, you know, tight ends, as we talked about, they don't really influence, like there, there, there's only a few tight ends that really draw that, that like alpha target uh, share that are going to change, you know, the wide receivers projections. That's a short list. It's like Waller and, and Kelsey. And so, yeah, I, I think, I think Smith has some, some upside here, but uh, her, it's hurts. It's really hurts or bust for me when investing into this Eagles offense. Yep. The giants, uh, another team that aside from Saquon, who we've talked about probably a little too risky to, to be a, a optimal first, second round pick, given that everybody has ceiling in that range. But outside of him, another team where everyone's going, you know, fifth, fifth, sixth round or later, usually Galladay, Shepard, Ingram, who's a little banged up, Slayton, even got the rookie Tony, um, Devontae Booker, the, the Saquon handcuff, Daniel Jones, late round quarterback. Any Who's the best value outside of Sa- like Saquon? Like, who do you target if who should who, who would you target if you had to in this offense? Outside uh, of I mean, it's it's so crowded that like. None of them really, but it, it leads me to Daniel Jones at QB, like 29. Um, for any of these guys to hit, he has to be good. So the, the answer is Daniel Jones. And I think he still carries that, you know, weekly QB1 upside. Um, so he's more of a best ball sort of target for me. You can get him super late. Um, he's not really a threat to get benched necessarily. So he should play all 17 games as long as he stays healthy. Um, out of the pass catchers, I would say Sterling Shepard is probably the best target. Um, you know, he's sort of under the radar where he could be the target leader in this offense. You know, Kenny Galladay has missed pretty much all of camp in preseason. So we we don't even know if he's healthy. So we've known that Sterling Shepard can be, you know, a target monster, um, when needed. So I think out of all these guys, um, it would be Shepard for me. Yeah. Shepard is the, the pass catcher. I get the most of. In drafts, he's great in a full PPR, especially. Mm. Uh, he averaged uh, 5.7 catches per game in 2019, 5.5 last year. That's a, that's a lot of catches, and that that's you know with Daniel Jones mostly. So uh, I think Shepard is somewhat of a value. Not going to give you much in the in the touchdown department, but he does get some rushing attempts. Uh, Jones, I, I do like at uh, as a late round quarterback, just more so because of the rushing upside. You know the passing. It'll land where it lands, but uh, I do have Jones ranked QB 20, which again, you, you know, he usually goes 
far later than that. So I uh, like him. And then uh, I am starting to take just a little bit of, uh, of Devonte Booker because I think it gives you some, some interesting, like, uh, anti-fragileness with, you know, every, like being down on Saquon, how do you profit off that? Well, you could take the guy that, you know, will be the RB, you know, be their starter. If Saquon goes down at a, essentially for free and remember, you know, the risks of Saquon apply because he's a first, second round pick, but look at a guy like Wayne Gallman, who you could have got for free last year or picked up on waivers. You know, he gave you uh, in the middle of the season, you know, RB two high end RB two production. So uh, that's kind of the way I like to invest in this team is go with the guys that you could get for free, Daniel Jones uh, and, uh, and Booker. The NFC North, we got the Packers. Robert Tunyon kind of came out of, of nowhere last year. Double-digit touchdowns. Where do you have him ranked amidst all this tight end chaos? Uh, so he's tight end 10. 10 right now. Um, and honestly, it's it's like a four to eight-way tie for this massive, massive tier. Um, so he's tight end 10. But again, you you can't go wrong if you take him tight end seven. Um, he's a tight, he's a touchdown dependent tight end that should probably score a bunch of touchdowns again this year. So I, I can't fault you for taking him. He he might be a little less consistent than a guy like a Logan Thomas or even a Noah Fant. Um, so that, that's why I have him tight end 10. But, um, you know, I, I'm avoiding this tier to begin with. Like I said, once the top six tight ends are off the board, I'm basically punting um, until the end of the draft and just take a flyer on whoever's left. Uh, but where do you have Tanya now? Uh, I have him tight in nine and uh, I, I do get some of him cause he sometimes falls into that, you know, outside the top hundred picks and he's still on a short list of tight ends that has, you know, 10, 15 touchdown upside. So I, I still, I, I don't mind investing in him as long as I don't have to get him above his ADP. Uh, I will never take him over a guy like Logan Thomas cause Thomas run, you know, ran around on 90% of the dropbacks and Tunyon was at 65%. So there is a difference there. And that opens you up to, you know, that touchdown variance if he doesn't, if Rogers regresses or whatnot, but uh, I still think the upside is there and there, it is a enough of a shit show that, you know, Tunyon should be among the, the top red zone targets and among the top leaders and touchdowns at the position. So um, the fact that if you can get him as like one of the last people to take your tight end, I don't hate it. Um, I, I'd rather take him than like wait for like now that this tier has totally deteriorated, like <laughs> I'd rather take him yeah. than, than wait on some, like a few weeks ago, it was like, okay, there are some guys I can take if, if I wait, you know, Evan Ingram, but he's gone or Smith or yeah. he's starting to get hurt or Smith hurt. Uh, you know, Zachert's still interesting to me, but um, yeah, there's a lot less guys now. I think that who's your, um, who's your tight end 10 then? Like who do we have? I, I think it's still Goddard. Uh, let me let me double check I have, that. So I have Fant, yeah. Logan Thomas, and Tyler Higby ranked above Tanyan. Do you have any of those guys? No, uh, Fant I have at uh, oh. eight, I believe. So then, but it's it, it's neck and neck, and I I, I don't mind taking Tanyan over Fant because I do think you know Fant. I'm it's year three. Tight end breakouts happen a little more in, in year three than wide receivers usually year two now, just because. Um, they get just how the game is going, but tight end is a little tougher. So yeah. I do like the talent there. I think it's a little crowded, but um, I don't mind taking Tanya just for that touchdown, just chasing that touchdown upside. And he usually is cheaper than Fant. So that's really what it comes down to. Higby, I think is, you know, he's right there, but I think Stafford benefits the receivers a little more than the tight end uh, in that offense. So, um, and I think Tanya has more touchdown upside than, than Higby. So makes sense. Uh, let's go to the talk about the Vikings with Irv Smith, you know, slated to miss time. Where are you ranking Tyra Conklin? Now it looks like Smith's going to be out the entire year. It has like a four to five month timeline on the, uh, what was it meniscus surgery? Yeah. 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 They, I guess it was between cleaning it up or doing a full repair and they went the full repair route. So it's unfortunate he'll miss this season, but he should be 100% next year. So we'll get to see him break out then. Um, I have Tyler Conklin tight end 27 right now. So he's in that, you know, Blake Jarwin, Eric Ebron, Hayden Hurst. I have Adam Troutman there too. Tier. This is only, you know, deeper tight end premium formats where you need to care about him. But he's clearly the tight end one. I'm not too concerned about 
uh, Chris Hernan. Once they made the trade for Chris Hernan, I feared the worst mm-hmm. uh, for Irv Smith. So we'll we'll see. Maybe Hernan has some potential um, with the change of scenery, but I'm avoiding these guys anyway. I think it's just going to be, you know, probably more targets for Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and Dalvin Cook. So outside of those three, I want nothing to do with the Vikings. I don't care who the number three wide receiver is. I'm trying to figure out who it's going to be. Don't care. It's it's the three main guys for this team are bust for me. Yeah, I mean, the, the number three receiver would probably be uh, Amir Smith-Marset. Uh, he'll also return kicks. I think Osborne has taken some reps there, but Smith-Marset mm-hmm. is like in a super deep league. He does have some up, upside just because he's been, you know, he's playing well and they could go a lot more three receiver sets uh, without Smith. That's what the that's what Zimmer said. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I, I, I have Conklin at 24. I think he is, you know, a viable and best ball. And he does, he does have some upside because – Again, the tight end has been a big part of this offense, and Herndon is not really a threat for targets, even if they're running routes at the same time. So uh, Conklin could factor in, give you some big weeks, maybe yep. DFS play, well-owned DFS play or something like that. Uh, so that's how I kind of attack him. The Bears, another team where it's kind of top-heavy, you have Montgomery, you have Allen Robinson. Is there any value on this team outside of them? Uh, Mooney, maybe? Well, and Justin Fields, obviously, but we don't need to talk about him. He, you know, if he starts week two, he's going to crush his ADP. But yeah, Darnell Mooney for me, um, you know, I, I keep mentioning this, but he was the 10th most targeted player downfield last year of 24 um, targets of 20 plus air yards. Um, but the second worst catchable wall rate, uh, only six of those were catchable. So you would assume with improved quarterback play, which I think Justin Fields Will bring, um, you know, he's he's going to unlock that deep threat that Mooney has. So I think Mooney, um, you know, as a high upside wide receiver, sort of in that Nico Hardman, Elijah Moore range, um, just one of those guys where you're just taking a flyer, and if he if he doesn't pan out, he's not going to kill you. Uh, he's one of those guys that I'm targeting. Yeah, I have him at 55, but you know, so in that glut, like you said, but I do like his upside. I do like to target him over. Uh, you know, Curtis Samuel and especially, and if it's not a full PPR format, cause I think he has some air yard upside that um, is attractive and he has that year two, that year two breakout potential here to, to, to crush his ADP if things go, if things go right. So like Mooney, but that's, yeah, that's about it. Not really touching the tight ends commit and Graham still, I think too much of a committee to find any, any true value there. Uh, and then the quarterback play is still not going to be great. So uh, not, not, not really too interested in the bear and the old line should not be, should be pretty bad as well. Uh, the, the lions, Deandre Swift still goes in the, usually in the top 15, top 20, uh, maybe with the ADP phone a little bit, uh, but Jamal Williams usually goes closer to the you know 40th running back. Uh, who do you think is the better value of those two guys? Uh, probably Williams. Uh, he's the anti-fragile type of back that you mentioned um, earlier, but it, he's the kind of guy where even when Swift is healthy, this be, this could be closer to a 50-50 timeshare than people are willing to admit. So he might be able to provide some RB3 flex value on occasion, depending on the game script. We, we need to see how this kind of works out in the, the receiving game. But, um, you know, if DeAndre Swift were to miss any time, I think Jamal Williams will be RB2, RB3 type of back. So that's why I tend to prefer uh, the backup in situations like this. But you mentioned DeAndre Swift, his ADP has been all over the map. If if he goes in the top 15, I'm basically not getting him at all. But if he falls to me in the RB20 range, I'll absolutely take a flyer on him. Um, he should be closer to 100% um, going into week one than we thought, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. So, you know, I think he, he still has that upside. So he, he's the guy, kind of guy where, again, if you're attacking wide receiver tight end early in the draft and he ends up falling to you as a low-end RB2, I can get behind that. I think he is talented enough to warrant that. And, you know, the Lions are going to have a ton of trailing game scripts, and I think Swift should be the pass catching back. Like I said, we'll see. Um, but I think he'll still be uh, playable in these negative game scripts. So that's why I still think Swift is okay at, like, RB20. Yeah, I haven't gotten too much of him. I mean, you have the availability concerns. I do like, you know, the breakout potential, but it's just tough for me to justify him over guys that project for a much safer carry floor, like Carson and Jacobs and um, uh, James Robinson. Like Swift only averaged like eight point, was it about nine carries per game last year? So Mm -hmm. 
we don't know if he's really going to jump because they did acquire Jamal Williams. Uh, Jamar Jefferson has played well in the preseason, the rookie. And then uh, I think they might even keep a fourth back active. Uh, Godwin is I'm not even trying to pronounce his name, but uh, you know, they have a pretty loaded backfield to where they could mix and match and, you know, kind of monitor Swift's reps. Cause he, yep. they, they've been, there's been a lot of kind of negative negativity surrounding his availability and health from the coaching staff itself. So that does raise a little bit of a red flag. So in a full PBR, I think it's the best time to, you know, kind of maximize the upside, but in, in half PBR and standard, I've been going to, to guys who I just think have safer carry floors in, in his ADP range. What about the, uh, the, the receiving core? We love Hawkinson, but at wide receiver, I mean, somebody has to catch the ball here. You have Amon Ross St. Brown, the rookie, should be a, kind of a, a slot guy who could still be like top two in terms of routes, kind of maximize it, but I usually do it in, in full PPR team. And then Tyrell Williams should be locked into one starting role. And then who knows what they're going to do at the other side. They release Perriman, Cephas, Benson they traded for. Cephas could factor in. Khalif Raymond had a good camp. Who knows? But uh, will St. Brown or Tyrell be viable at all, given that there is still some target share up for grabs there? Uh, or do, are you staying away? No, I think St. Brown is the guy worth targeting. Like, you know, you get him basically for free. Um, he, he's a better fit with Jared Goff. You know, Tyra Williams might be the alpha receiver that draws a top cornerback um, every week. And he's not really the playing style that Goff um, typically targets. So I think St. Brown's going to be sort of the target funnel a la uh, Cooper Cup in the slot. We know Jared Goff's, um, you know, always willing to target his slot receiver. Uh, but at the end of the day, like you already mentioned, T.J. Hawkinson is my boy. I think, you know, at tight end six, He's really uh, my perfect draft strategy is getting TJ Hawkinson at tight end six. He ultimately will be the number one target in this offense. Um, I don't even think they have a backup tight end right now. So yeah, so he's the number one target. But after that, I think Amon St. Brown out of the slot will be the number two target in this offense. Yeah. Hawkinson has like a hundred catch upside on his high range of outcomes, which you can't say for any of the receivers. So love Hawkinson. I think St. Brown you maximize him by doing it in full PPR because this, I don't expect this team to throw a lot of touchdowns. Uh, and I expect St. Brown to have a low average depth of target, which is, you know, is good because it helps you get, you know, receptions, but I don't think the touchdowns will be there. And I don't know that the yardage will be there just given that you have Jared Goff at quarterback too. So yeah, he probably he probably won't give you a Justin Jefferson type rookie season, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, just like a sixty catch, nice little PPR season um, in deeper leagues for sure. Yeah, I think the ceiling is like Cooper Cup, who you know played well with Jared Goff his rookie year, but yep. obviously that was a Sean McVay offense. This <laughs> is an Anthony Wynn offense, so I mean maybe Keenan Allen role, who knows? But uh, there's some That'd upside nice. there, is what I'm saying. But next up here on the Fantasy Flex is an all new segment that we've been doing called Elite Entries where Sean and I dive into the prize picks app and compare our player projections to the props and build some entries for listeners unfamiliar with prize picks. It's a super simple way to play DFS. Prize picks offers a bunch of fantasy and props over under markets for both daily and season long, like Zeke Elliott rushing yards for the season or Josh Allen week one fantasy points. You choose the picks you like and you build your entry. You can go with two, three, four, or even five picks, and your payout is based on how big your lineup is and how much you risk. For example, if you choose two props, uh, like Zeke under and uh, Josh Allen over, and they both hit, you get three times your entry fee, but if you build an entry with four props, you can win up to 10 times your entry fee. So Sean and I like to use our projections to identify markets we like in the prize picks app. And we're going to look at three today. Sean, what is your first prize pick? Uh, so hopefully you listened to my advice a couple weeks ago and built some entries around Gus Edwards over 600 rushing yards. Um, it is now up to 850 and a half rushing yards due to uh, J.K. Dobbins' season injury. I still think this is too low. Um, I'm projecting him close to 1,000 yards, so I would actually pick this up to about 925 rushing yards. So I still think we still we have some value here at 850, so I love the over. 
Yep, I have Gus Edwards over 900 yards uh, in my model as well. So I like that one. Uh, for mine, I'm going with Jets running back Michael Carter over 575 and a half rushing yards. Again, I think there's been some pessimism after there was a backfield committee in the preseason. And well, I do think the other backs will mix in. The cream always rises to the top and that cream is Carter. He's great uh, in the pass game. He's great in the run game. And uh, this is a really low bar to clear. So I have him well over 600 uh, rushing yards on the season. And that's with a pretty conservative projection. So I love the over 575 and a half. Who's your final prize pick entry for this week, Sean? So I'm diving into the week one pool here. I I just came out with my initial week one projections. Um, So I'm going with the Justin Herbert under 274 and a half passing yards week one. Um, They're at Washington. Uh, So this is going to be a really tough test to begin the season. Uh, He's under a new system, under new offensive quarter, uh, Joe Lombardi. So, you know, he might take a couple weeks to kind of get familiar with the system, really get going. This is a really tough test week one. Um, And Justin Herbert benefited his rookie season, not having to play away games in front of, you know, maximum capacity crowd. So, you know, maybe he's a little rattled week one when they have a full crowd there. So I I love the under here. I'm projecting this closer uh, to 260. So I would I would pick this down to about 270 or so. Yeah, I like that Herbert call. Washington is a tough defense to move the ball against. So like that one as well. And that's going to do it for our elite entry for today. Again, we're going with Gus Edwards over 850 and a half rushing yards for the season. Michael Carter over 575 and a half rushing yards for the season. And Justin Herbert under 274 and a half passing yards in week one. As a reminder, prize picks markets do move, so you want to be nimble to lock in those numbers before they are on the move. If you haven't created a prize picks account yet, check out the link in our episode description. They will match your first deposit up to $100 or visit prizepicks.com and use the promo code ACTION10. That's ACTION10 at prizepicks.com. Okay. Back to the fantasy flex. Uh, the NFC South, we have the Bucks. We have Evans and Godwin going pretty high in the top 20 receivers. There's no question about that, but this is a great offense. Tom Brady at the helm, good O-line. So among these middle round guys, who do you like as the best value? Antonio Brown, Ronald Jones, or... Leonard Fournette. Uh, let me just start off by saying it's not Ronald Jones. So he's number three for me. Um, and then it's it's probably a toss-up, honestly, between Leonard Fournette, um, who I don't uh, get. He's not a running back I seek out in drafts. But at RB36, you could do worse. Um, you know, maybe we see playoff Lenny all season. Who knows? But he he's the only back in this offense that can kind of dominate the rushing work and receiving work if either Ronald Jones or Joe Bernard were to miss time. Um, but, you know, Antonio Brown, I think he's one of those players where I haven't ranked 45th, but I'd probably draft him uh, much earlier. So his ADP at 35 does sound about right. I think that's, uh, you know, that's sort of his ceiling, honestly, if everybody stays healthy. Uh, but he's probably the guy with the most upside out of these three. So I, I would target him if, I mean, imagine if either Mike Evans or Chris Godwin were to go down. I mean, he has wide receiver two upside for sure. So he's one of those guys at that point in the draft, I am okay kind of reaching for that ceiling. So I, I would probably lean Antonio Brown out of these three. Yeah, I have an AB at 42, but uh, I agree. I mean, he, I, th- I believe he averaged the most uh, catches per game once they acquired him out of all of them. So, you know, he just, his, he was getting targeted on those like little gimme short routes. So it's, it wasn't, it's not the same as it was in Pittsburgh necessarily, but he's still Antonio Brown. He's still a guy who can be a high volume receiver. So yeah, it's, it's, it's him for me. I'm, you know, I don't hate Ronald Jones as much as I did earlier because, and I do end up getting him sometimes because when you look at the buck schedule, I mean, they just yeah. have a very, very favorable schedule. So there could be a, a scenario where, especially given how good the defense is and how, you know, that the fact that you have a quarterback that's going to convert on third down and, and get you up and down the field, 
the running backs could be valuable, very valuable on this team, even though it is a committee. I mean, there's a lot of offenses these days with committees. So uh, Ronald Jones has that double digit touchdown upside. I, I, I still think, uh, and, and Fournette, I think gets dinged a little more because even though he got the receiving usage last year, I think that's why they went out and got Bernard because they don't like Fournette's not really a great receiver. It's just, you know, when you have Tom Brady and everyone else is going deep, you're going to, you're going to get some catches. But I think, I think he's, I, I do agree that he has that like do threat capability, but I think the plan is to reduce his role. Whereas Jones role, because he didn't ever rely on receiving usage in the first place. Uh, I think he kind of maintains the same role. So uh, I, I think I actually like Jones more than Fournette. I have Jones 32 and Fournette 39 in half PPR. Yeah, that's, that's fair. And I was going to mention, you know, Ronald Jones is too one-dimensional, but, you know, the Buccaneers should provide plenty of Ronald Jones uh, game scripts. So, you know, I, I do like him in that regard, but I think Fournette definitely has a higher ceiling. And again, in this range at running back, that's that's kind of what I'm going for. All right, let's go to the Falcons. Where are you ending up on Mike Davis. I mean, I, I like Mike Davis. He's, he's RB 22 right now. Uh, he really doesn't have much depth behind him. I know that they're talking about using Quadri Olison and Cor- Cordell Patterson as sort of a running back by committee, but this, this could be a pretty run heavy offense uh, under Arthur Smith. So, you know, I do like Mike Davis. Unfortunately, he does sort of fit the definition of a frozen pond <laughs> running back because Although he's the number, the week one starter, I mean, he's not a lock to hang on to all season. He's, you know, he's been a journeyman his entire career. He had the breakout season last year when CMC went down. Um, but, you know, anything can happen in this backfield. The, the one thing going for him, like I said, is the depth chart behind him is pretty weak, but there is still some uncertainty there. So having said that, he I urge a little bit of caution drafting him at running back 22, but that's, that's where my projections have him ranked. Yeah, I actually have him RB19, so... Yeah, I think I'm a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm a little yeah. higher on consensus, and I don't mind him at all because, yeah, number one, the the backfield is pretty weak depth wise. But number two, I read a quote from Arthur Blank, the owner, and you know, I love I love kind of getting inside these organizations' heads because I think that's where the edge is. Not in like who's making who's catching the ball at camp or this or that. It's going to be all puff pieces, but uh, sometimes you can find an edge just understanding what the organization is thinking. And, you know, I think a question was asked of him, like, why did you go with an offensive guy in Arthur Smith after he had all these defensive guys like Dan Quinn and, and whatnot? And he he was like, you know, we, we need to like run the ball. And well, that is not maybe that's not the best thing from a you know football analytics standpoint. Uh, he's the owner. And that's there's going to be an emphasis on running the ball. So I totally agree. I think this offense could look completely different. Remember, Arthur Smith is the king of running the shit out of the ball. Obviously he had Derrick Henry, but uh, you know, that's what he's done. And and he's made a passing game effective by doing it. But uh, the running back has been very valuable in his offenses. And, you know, the owner is saying like, Hey, you know, when we were good and we were winning, you know, we had a run game and we would run efficiently and uh, that would help our defense, which we know isn't that great. And it's going to take some time to rebuild. So I think this is a team that's fully going to try to implement that Tennessee strategy to some degree. Uh, and, and remember the Falcons have been like the past heaviest team the last couple of years in the league. I mean, it was, you know, they were in the mid six fifties in, in pass attempts uh, every year. So uh, we could see a dramatically different offense and it's just hard, you know, even it, cause I do have, you know, I'm projecting Davis for only about 50 on the season, only about 50 ish, 55% of the total car- of running back carries, you know, after counting in the missed games, but uh, I still have him up pretty high. It's going to be hard. Allison's not re- a, really a threat to run too many routes out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. And then Patterson, he's, you know, he's not even a true, he's like a running back wide receiver hybrid. So uh, Davis should be on the field for a lot of pass snaps and he, they, they should put an emphasis on running the ball. So uh, I think, you know, I'm fine with him again. This I think this is just a better RB two tier than, than years past. And I like Davis a lot more than a guy like Todd Gurley and Todd Gurley even was fine last year. So um yeah, uh, I yeah, think got Dave, benched. Yeah, Davis is 28 years old, but he doesn't have that much tread on his tires. You know, he has 412 career carries, so he might be a little bit fresher than your average 28-year-old running back. So that that's certainly going in his favor. And obviously, he's no Derrick Henry, 
We know that, but he does at least have that pass catching upside that Henry doesn't really have. So I, I, I could see how he would just thrive in this Arthur Smith offense. Yeah, he plays hard. He'll get you some yards after the contact. Yep. Um, probably not going to be a high yard per carry guy, all things considered. But uh, yeah, I, I'm a little higher on him. I don't mind. I don't mind getting him, especially you know, wait for thirty six if you need that that second running back. Or yeah. didn't he have the highest broken tackle rate of qualified running backs last year? I think that I might need to double check that, but pretty sure. I can check right now. Let's see. I do know. I do see that he's he was seventh on the year in in missed tackles forced in PFF, and pretty much every running back on that list had more carries than him uh, on the top six. So uh, he should be up there. Yeah. He should be up there. Uh, He averaged three yards after contact, which is very good. So yeah, I think he's a, I think he's a solid pick here. Not down on him at all. uh, Just given, given the situation Uh, for Carolina, I think we love Terrace Marshall, especially David Moore being released but we also love Robbie Anderson. And then DJ Morris put up two straight 1,100 yard plus yard seasons. And there's also Christian McCaffrey. And there's also Dan Arnold should be more involved than Ian Thomas last year. So I guess my concern is like, how likely are we to get a bust or two out of this Carolina pass catching unit, given that we still have Sam Darnold at quarterback? Like, how many pass catchers can Sam Darnold truly support? Yeah, probably not more than two or three, right? And, you know, CMC will probably be an every week hit. Um, so that leaves, yeah, like one or two receivers after that. So I, I'm very worried that, you know, like a DJ Moore or Robbie Anderson um, could be inconsistent. Um, so that's why, you know, DJ Moore at, I think he's wide receiver 18 now kind of scares me. I, I don't like to overspend an offense like this where you made a great point. Like this is a Sam Darnold offense. So, um, I would say DJ Moore. I'd be cautious about that. And I, I do like a guy like Terrence Marshall way later um, because you can get him, you know, super cheap. He might be the odd man out most weeks, but he will have weeks, you know, where he scores a touchdown or where he's heavily involved. So he's a guy that can also kind of impact DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson negatively. So this is a very, uh, this is offensive. You have to be careful about. Um, they were able to support three receivers last year with Teddy Bridgewater, but, you know, Chris McCaffrey was out for most of the season. So that might be why. So the, I'd be very careful. And the thing I've been doing is um, just not drafting DJ Moore at wide receiver 18 because of the, you know, the lower floor of this offense will have week to week. Yeah. He's uh, he's my wide receiver 25. So whoa, <laughs> yeah. And that, and that's because, you know, I still have Anderson at 32 and, uh, and Marshall, you know, even though I haven't projected for about, uh, you know, close to, 80% of the routes per game, like Samuel ran last year, he's still my wide receiver uh, 70 because he just, you know, the, they're just, there's just only so many targets to go around and we don't know. We, we can't just project like a huge, huge change in efficiency for Darnold. Like I do have him better than he was in his jets days. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater averaged, I think it was 7.6 yards per attempt. So the receivers will definitely help Darnold, but you also have to account for the fact that, you know, Dan Arnold should command a bigger target share than Thomas, who was essentially running routes and nothing was happening when he ran those routes. So yeah, uh, there, yeah, it's just a, it's just a numbers game where uh, in West here, but we, a huge believer in Darnold taking a big step. I think there's going to be at least some inconsistency, even if these guys kind of hit their overall marks at, at the, by the end of the season, you may not know exactly when to bench or start some of them. So uh, it's, it's, one of, it's, it's weird. It's a weird offense where it's like, I'm not too excited about it. I, I've been getting some Robbie when he was going real weight, but now, um, it really depends on the, on, on the, uh, on the week. Sometimes he goes in line with, with my projection of wide receiver 32. Sometimes you could still get him later. So, um, yeah, it's that's about it. It's also unlikely that all these players stay healthy for all 17 games. So I think the weeks where one or two of these players are out, um, the rest will benefit, but, um, that, that's why you, you don't want to invest in like needing players to get hurt or miss time for a guy to hit. But that's that's where the upside for a guy like Marshall comes into play is if either DJ Moore or Robbie Anderson miss time. I think he does have that wide receiver three upside. But other than that, when they're all healthy, super low floor for everybody. Yeah. And I think you're right about Moore because it's just he's the guy that's still going in that premium range where he might have already 
hit his ceiling, you know, 1100 plus yards in back-to-back years. Yeah. Like there's not much higher he can go just given all of the, the guys around him and, and the balance around him. And, but he's going in that range where you want that like wide receiver one overall upside still that I, I just don't know if more truly gives you that, uh, even though he's been, he's been great and he's a great receiver. Uh, he might've his, from a numbers perspective, he might've topped out with the yardage uh, these last couple of seasons uh, the Saints, who's a top value for you outside of Alvin Kamara? Uh, Marquez Callaway, is it Michael Thomas, uh, Troutman, Traquan, Latavius? Who do you like? Who are you targeting the most outside of Alvin Kamara? Uh, it's probably Latavius. Um, he's always uh, the, the anti-fragile back I like to get, sort of in that RB45 to RB50 range. I know there was some concern that, he might be leapfrogged by Tony Jones. Uh, that doesn't appear to be the case. So I still think he's safe in the RB45 range. Um, other than that, these guys aren't really um, guys I'm targeting. Marquez Callaway, I, I do like him. But, you know, his ADP is wide receiver 44 now. That's pretty rich, um, especially when you factor in that, you know, Michael Thomas should return at some point. Um, so I think Callaway's value is only going to go down like – when it comes to the fancy playoffs are going to be starting Kelly, probably not, um, you know, Taysom Hill could take over anytime. I think once that happens, you're, you're not going to like Callaway as much. So I think, you know, of all the preseason overreactions, I think Callaway being, you know, wide receiver 44 might be one of them, unfortunately. Um, but outside of Camara, this is an offense. I'm basically staying away from now other than Latavius Murray as a high upside backup. I actually love Callaway. I think I think you should, I think people should still be drafting him because number one, he's going to start the season well. You know, you, you still have Winston, you have Thomas out. So if you can get you know a guy in that range who gives you I think legit like wide receiver two upside, um, it should it like he should be a, a target hog every week. You know, all these weeks that Tom, Thomas is out, and when you look at like the the rest of the Saints. You know, you have Kamara there with Thomas out. There's really no other guy that's going to command targets. You know, like Troutman is a very was a very low like target per route run guy. Traquan Smith ridiculously low, uh, and Callaway's like he should be right there. And then when Thomas gets back, I think you, you're going to see a few more. Like it's going to be a little bit of a higher volume pass offense, and you know the all the defensive attention is going to be on Kamara and Thomas. So I think Callaway still can have you know, decent weeks even then. So I still like him going here because I just, and just based on how well he, like, you know, how well he's played. Uh, Cause the saints are another team that they tend to unearth these receivers. Like they yeah. like Colston, Willie Sneed, you know, they have, they've had a lot of productive guys that coming into the season or at least their first seasons really being in a, in a prominent role, people kind of wrote off and then look, they look back and it's like, Oh, this guy was uh, really productive. So I like Callaway. I still like Callaway. He's the guy. Uh, Murray, I, I do get, but I, you know, just because of, you know, there's been some skepticism and he is getting a little older. Like I'm not as excited as I was maybe like one, two years ago about it. Uh, I still think if Kamara goes down, he leads the way and he gives you that running back one upside, but he is also a guy that could kind of fall off a cliff. And I mean, he, maybe he does at some point get leapfrog too. So Where, do, you, do you have week one projections or rankings by any chance? I haven't. No, I haven't uh, uh, started that yet. I, yeah, I have Callaway uh, wide receiver thirty-one. I was curious um, where you have him, but I, I do agree that he will get off to a fast start. But I like having really strong receivers, so I, I prefer having like a, a Jerry Judy as my wide receiver three, not Callaway. But certainly, if if you're in a situation where you know you attack running back early on or tight end, and Callaway's your wide receiver three to begin the year, I won't you know slam me for that. But I just think that his value will only um, go down as the year goes on, unfortunately. Yeah, That's well, he's going as a wide receiver 44, and sometimes later than that in, like, more casual leagues. So, it's, yeah, it's you know, like, like we're, we're in these sharp drafts where – Exactly. Like, he, he, yeah, he goes yeah. at, like, wide receiver 35, yeah. and, like, I would I don't need to start him as my wide receiver three. And like you said, you have him ranked inside the wide receiver three ranks already in week one, even in a tough matchup uh, against that – against, yeah, uh, what is it, uh, Green Bay, right? Yeah, that's why he's tricky to discuss because again, if you're if you're stashing him on your bench, you know you're kind of losing that value. He's going to hit the ground running week one, so it, it sort of depends on your format. But certainly, if you can get him outside of the wide receiver fifty range, he's obviously worth it. 
Um, there's just guys like, I, I think I'd rather take a guy like Will Fuller, uh, honestly, um, in that range. Uh, maybe, oh, Michael Gallup in that range. But other than that, I think, yeah, if you can get around wide receiver 45 and Michael Gallup and Will Fuller are off the board, I can certainly get behind that. All right, let's go to the West and we'll finish it out with the Rams and the Niners and the Seahawks. Uh, let's start with the Cardinals. Chase Edmonds and James Conner. Uh, Edmonds usually goes uh, right around the you know, middle, mid-20s in running back ADP, maybe the low 20s. Uh, Conner usually about 10 spots lower than that, maybe in the, you know, outside, definitely usually outside the top 100 picks uh, in that running back 35 to 40 range. Uh, who's the better value for you at ADP? Um, I would say Edmonds probably has the higher ceiling, so he's probably the better value. But honestly, both running backs sort of offer some value at ADP because I think even if both stay healthy, they they should be able to kind of outproduce this ADP. Um, And if either one goes down, I mean, you know, they're going to be pretty legit RB2s. Um, But, you know, it depends if James Conner inherits like the full Kenyon Drake role. I mean, Edmonds was still able to put up uh, RB 28 numbers, even with Kenyon Drake there. So I think Edmonds is probably the guy for me because, you know, he just has that uh, massive upside. I think he could be like a legit RB two if Connor were to go down, but even if Connor Connor's healthy, he still has his defined role where he's a, you know, RB three kind of flex guy, more valuable in PPR format. So I, I'd say out of these two Edmonds for me. Yeah. I, I, I like both. Like I don't, I, yeah. I it's <laughs> like, cause Edmonds, I have him, you know, RB24 in, in full PPR, and I think he has upside for even more than that. But uh, Connor is also right there as like a fringe top 30 guy for me, just because they're, Arizona almost never splits the carries three ways. So, yeah, if, if Edmonds gets hurt, I think Connor will be like a 20 carry per game guy. If Connor gets hurt, I think Edmonds will be like a 20 carry per game guy. And even if they're splitting work, you know, Edmonds with his receiving usage and he'll probably get like, you know, eight to 10 carries. And then there's still uh, probably double digit carries on the table for Connor with a, with a cat, with a couple catches here and there. And you do have that Kenyon Drake upside. And even though Kenyon Drake, people were, were down on him last year once, you know, as the season kind of progressed, he was still like a top 20 back. Yep. RB 14. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Kenny, it, like, even though it wasn't maybe impressive week in week out, it was kind of ugly. Kenyon Drake still got it done, and there you know, these carries have to go somewhere. And this is also one of the fastest pace teams. So Arizona was number one in football outsiders situation adjusted pace uh, at twenty seven point one seconds between plays. So that that just gives even more upside and a higher floor to the to this backfield that should be. That it should be all that should be all you see. It's just those two guys. It, you know, when when one went down, Edmonds got all the the, the other got all the carries last year. So yeah. uh like both of those guys at their ADP. For the 49ers, we have maybe a similar situation, but they're just a more crowded backfield. You have Trey Sermon, the rookie, and you have Raheem Mostert, the incumbent starter. Uh Mostert has, you know, he's a talented guy, but never really held up over like a full season with a big workload. Uh, so where are you on those two guys in terms of value at ADP? Sermon usually goes a little higher than Mostert. This is a similar situation where I think both are worth drafting. Um, you know, I think Mostert will hit the ground running. So if, if you're in a situation where you need a guy to start right away, uh, Mostert's your guy. Week one rankings, I have him RB21. Um, they're, they're against the lions. I think he's going to have a good game to start the season. Um, and I have sermon RB 34, but I think as the season goes on, sermon's going to catch up ground and eventually overtake him. And certainly, you know, Mozart hasn't been the healthiest back. He's had his injury issues. Um, so he could end up missing time. And then sermon has, you know, RB one, RB two sort of upside. Um, they just cut Wayne Gallman. So that yep. kind of clears up this RB three role. So I think both backs, honestly, the 49ers are always a situation I'm trying to invest in. So you can make a case where, you know, if, if you go zero RB and you need a running back two in this range, take Raheem Ozer, because you can start him the first handful of games or maybe, maybe even the whole season. We'll see. Um, but then Sermon's the kind of guy I like to have on my bench where I think he's going to peak come fancy 
you know, playoff time. He'll have games where he starts. So I think Sermon's probably the better long-term investment, but I can get behind either one of these backs. Yeah, I mean, when the offseason started, I was kind of anti-drafting San Francisco backs, period, because it was, there was, Gallman was still there. Uh, there was just a lot of uncertainty, you know, Mitchell, Hasty, but now it's, it's cleared up a little bit because, mm-hmm. you know, Gallman got cut. Wilson's going to be out, you know, to start the year. And then Mitchell's been hurt as well. So, you know, he, he just is getting back into the flow of things. So I think it's going to be, somewhat similar to the Denver situation where you have a good defense, you know, you have a, a good running situation and it, these two guys should dominate the work. Now I think there is a little bit lower of a floor at both of them, just because you do have some other backs still there and, and Shanahan's been known to kind of mix it up. But uh, so I like the Denver backs more like Gordon, I, I rather Gordon in place of Mostert, um, you know, at ADP or, or, or Williams in place of Sermon. But uh, yeah, don't hate these guys anymore. They're just both kind of mid-range uh, RB3s with with high-end, you know, RB2 upside. So uh, don't hate them as much as I did coming in, but i uh, been getting more of the Denver backfield in my in my own drafts. Uh, for Seattle, can, you know, we know, we know they might increase the pace. We know Russell Wilson, Chris Carson, and then Metcalf and Lockett. That's a big four. There's not much to say about those guys. You're happy if you get any of those guys wherever they're going. But given that, you know, Wilson is very efficient and there's could be a higher paced team than we've seen in years past. Is there any other way to invest in this offense, do you think, outside of those big four? Like I've seen Gerald Everett start to creep into the top 150 uh, in some in some spots. Uh, is he would he be the guy you target or uh, are you just kind of staying away or somebody else? No, I think Everett is an interesting flyer, especially, again, this tight end two tier is getting decimated. So um, he's all the way up to tight end 17 for me. Um, so he's a he's a good, cheap way to invest in this offense. He could end up being the number three target. Um, you know, he's already familiar with offensive coordinator Shane Waldron from their time uh, here in L.A. with the Rams. So uh, I, I think he could be an interesting flyer. And, in, you know, being the number three target in a Russell Wilson-led offense, um, you can't go wrong with that. So I, I think out of all those guys, I think Everett would be the best way to invest in this offense cheaply. But again, I've mentioned it before in this uh, pod that Chris Carson uh, is definitely my most targeted Seahawk. I get him consistently at the end of the RB2 tier. I think he's just a lock for the workhorse role. Um, the only downside with Chris Carson, though, is um, he tends to be a violent runner and take big hits. So he's uh, usually going to miss a game or two every year, uh, but I factored that in already, and he's my running back 14. But uh, Chris Carson, I think, is the best bang for your buck player on the Seahawks. I actually, for me, I get Lockett even more, and I, I, I get a lot of Carson, but I get Lockett even more because just with my draft strategy, I, I'm usually drafting wide receivers in that range over yeah. a running back. So, uh, you know, as good as Metcalf is, Russell Wilson's just so good that he's going to support two receivers. There tends to be a very concentrated target share uh, there in, in, in Seattle. And so, and the better Metcalf is, the more it's just going to open things up for Carson. So, uh, excuse me for, well, for Carson too, but for uh, Tyler Lockett. For everybody. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> I'm not worried about like Metcalf. Oh, he's going to have this humongous breakout. Uh, Cause he already did. And, and but in Lockett's going to disappear. I mean, last year, you know, it seems like Metcalf, went off and he did he had 1303 yards but you look at the targets and it was Lockett 132 Metcalf 129 receptions Lockett 100 Metcalf 83 so Lockett was was right there it's not going to be as as sexy but he's still a very good receiver they both had 10 touchdowns and a lot of that is just you know, he's had that he's he's, he's had that experience uh, that with Russell Wilson and Russell Wilson's going to look for him anytime Metcalf is covered. And uh, that's what's going to be as far as like investing in the offense. Yeah, I've, I've warmed up to Everett a little bit. Uh, I think the tight end doesn't you isn't usually a huge part of, of the offense aside from that, like Will Disley, those random Will Disley like <laughs> breakout stretches. But uh, I think for a deep sleeper, I, I, I don't mind D Eskridge. Uh, the rookie because he's at, he's going essentially for free in that range where you say okay like Freddie Swain had think you know barely any uh, production as and David Moore as the, as those kind of co number three wide receivers last year so there's there's a spot for somebody to emerge 
uh, as that number three target. And, you know, Everett, you're having to pay a little more for him now, whereas Eskridge is, is free and they could scheme him some looks. So um, that's that's the guy I actually love targeting a little more. Like, I, I don't hate Everett at all. It's just I, Eskridge is even freer <laughs> than Everett and I think has similar up uh, yeah. upside. So um, it's, it's him for me. But, uh, yeah, I think definitely uh, an offense that I would not shy away from because they're already super efficient. And uh, if they increase the pace, I mean, it could just get silly because it could be like that 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 first eight weeks of Russell Wilson last year, like all all, all year long. So, oh, I would love that. Oh my goodness! So that that would be great. Uh, let's close it out with the Rams. The this offense to me, I don't know. Like it feels like it's not being talked about enough. How good this offense could be now that Sean McVay has a quarterback that he's comfortable with because he was already great at scheming up ways for Jared Goff to throw for like forty five hundred yards and and be very efficient. But now you got Stafford, you got uh, somewhat of an incentive to pass more because Cam Akers went down and, you know, even Xavier Jones went down. You have, you know, kind of a new running back in Michelle and, and one that's still a little unproven in Henderson. So what are, what are the ceilings you think for like Woods and Cup and, uh, and Higby? I think they're very high. Uh, I've been talking about them. I don't know where you've been, but no, I, I mean, obviously, yeah, us, but I mean, like, the, you know, outside you know. Us, yeah, but yeah, I love, uh, you know, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup in this wide receiver two tier. Uh, I love Tyler Lockett as well. Like, I love this entire tier, but those entire division <laughs> that, yeah, that the entire division, uh, Brandon Ayuk as well. But yeah, Woods and Cup, like their ceilings get elevated a ton with Matthew Stafford. Um, let me mention these stats one more time this offseason. So last year, the Rams ranked 24th in pass attempts, 20 plus yards or more. That should go up with Matthew Stafford. Uh, they ranked 30th in pass attempts in the red zone um, last season. Um, and those numbers look even worse when you consider they had the 12th most pass attempts. So, you know, Jared Goff was holding back um, their ceilings. Obviously, he boosted their floor because he targeted them so heavily. But, you know, Stafford is going to give them so many more of these high value targets, um, deep targets, end zone targets that, you know, these guys have legit wide receiver one potential. Um, So, yeah, I I love targeting Woods and Cup. And then honestly, you know, guys like D-Jax in a best ball format, you can't go wrong with that. You know, the five games he's going to play, he's going to go off. We know that. Um, But even like a guy like Van Jefferson, I think the wide wide receiver three in this offense now um, is a thing back. Remember when Jared Goff was really good, we were, you know, playing guys like Brandon cooks, Cooper cup and Robert Woods every week. I think we could see an offense like that now. Um, so I, I love investing in this offense. Um, Tyler Higby as well. I think he's uh, low end tight end one. So I think Matthew Stafford just, he elevates everybody's uh, ceiling in this offense. Yeah. And you get with woods, especially you get those rush attempts, which yeah. really enhance his, you know, floor ceiling combo. So I, I actually have Woods and Cup, and this might sound surprising, but I have Woods and Cup ranked ahead of Allen Robinson because wow. I, th- I think when you're looking at Robinson, it's going to have to be a lot of volume driven. It's going to be so volume driven where Woods and Cup already have the volume anyway, and they have the, you know, they have the track record, but their ceilings haven't really been accessed in, in a way that Matthew Stafford could access them. So uh, I think they're high floor, high ceiling plays. And like Sean McVay is brilliant. And whereas like Matt Nagy is kind of, you know, we've seen, you know, we've seen kind of a little bit of a downturn there. I mean, Robinson should be fine. I'm just saying like in terms of ceiling, I think Woods and Cup have a little bit more touchdown upside in this offense. Uh, and, and I just think, you know, they might not have to do it all on short, on short stuff now with, uh, with Stafford. So remember when he had like, was it Golden Tate, Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay, I think it was yes. for one year, and they were all very productive. Like it could be like that, except Deshaun Jackson's not going to be as high volume guy. So I, I do love him in best ball, but I mean, just w- look at where that's going to leave Cup and Woods. Those those guys could be like big week in week out uh, producers, and they have already been. I mean, Cooper Cup always finishes in you know the top fifteen or twenty, you know, in points per game or, or just total production. Uh, same thing for Woods, and uh, so I don't really see much downside with them. And I see a whole lot of upside and you, and they usually go after a couple of guys like, you know, like a Robinson who, yeah, he's fine. He's going to, he should get a lot of targets, but uh, you know, the, the upside might be kept even with fields at quarterback. Like I think, I think I'd still prefer like this Matthew Stafford, Sean McVay offense by a lot. So 
uh, yeah, love, love Woods and Cup. Uh, and, and I think those guys are great guys to target in the, that third, fourth round. Just another reason why I'm almost always going receiver in that range. It's just, it's hard for me to pass up these guys consistently because they're just such good floor ceiling uh, combos. So yeah, Woods, Cup, go draft those guys. You would not be disappointed. Uh, and that's, uh, yeah, that's going to do it. Final rankings, man. We went through a lot. Uh, you guys can check out our final rankings up at actionnetwork.com. They're all in our fantasy tool. And uh, so, yeah, go check it out, actionnetwork.com. Don't forget to also download the award-winning Action Network app. And you can follow Sean on Twitter at the underscore oddsmaker. You can follow me at Chris Raybon. And you can find us at those same handles in the Action app. As well, also, don't forget to rate and review the pod. We're on a new feed, so we can give you guys five episodes a week during the regular season. So uh, definitely subscribe if you haven't already. And uh, we got some winners for our uh, contest. You know, we promised if you guys rated and reviewed the show, we were going to give you some free swag. So, yeah, so, uh, Sean, we got a couple more uh, winners that we're going to give some free swag to. Who are our lucky winners uh, this week. So our winners this week are T Stein seven, eight, nine and Shane Ohoff. All right. T Stein seven, eight, nine, Shane Ohoff, T Stein seven, eight, nine and Shane Ohoff. Congratulations. Please contact podcasts at actionnetwork.com to claim your prize as podcasts at actionnetwork.com. All right. That is going to do it for us for this episode. Until next week, let's get this money.